0: Today we continue our journey with Moses through his life. The title is Moses the plagues of Egypt. Plagues are not easy to talk about my uh, my goal when we study the Word of God together is to help you understand the Bible and to give you hope but studying about the plagues is a difficult proposition in fact, I was thinking, you know, how, how do we enter into the study? What do I say? Do, do I ask you, oh, what's your favorite plague? You know, uh, just it, it doesn't, doesn't work. But I think by God's grace, if we can go through this carefully and see what God does say and focus on that and not try to answer questions that he doesn't answer, uh, we will be just fine. Now Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and they said, God has said, let my people go. Pharaoh refused. There will be a total of 10 plagues that will fall on Egypt. The first one was the Nile River is turned to blood. The second plague is the plague of frogs. Frogs came up out of that river and filled the land. The third plague was lice. Then there's the insertion of some information that is helpful to us. We find it in Exodus chapter eight. Please turn there in your Bibles. Exodus chapter eight. And we're going to start reading with verse 20. This is after the third plague. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out of the water. Then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you will not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. Apparently, the first three plagues affected the land of Goshen where the Israelites were living. But when we come to the last seven plagues or the seven last plagues, there's a distinction that is made. Those plagues only fall on the Egyptians. And we discover that in the book of Revelation that there's a reference to seven last plagues. And they fall also not on the Egyptians but on the people who are not serving God. And we'll be going there in a few moments to see what we can learn from that. So the fourth plague is flies flies all over everywhere. Then the fifth plague is a disease on the livestock. Then we go to Exodus 9, verses 4 and 5, and we learn some more. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land." So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but of the livestock of the children of Israel not one died. Now watch what happens. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. So after the fifth plague, or during the fifth plague, afterwards, excuse me, Pharaoh sent people to look and not one of the Israelite livestock was affected by it, but all of the Egyptians were. And still Pharaoh refused to let the people go. The sixth plague was boils on man and beast. The seventh plague came and we have some more information. Look at Exodus 9 verses 17 and following. <coughs> And yet, as you exalt yourself against my people in that you will not let them go, behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since the founding until now. Therefore send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every beast which is found in the field and is not brought home and they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to their houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. And so now you see some Egyptians have become fearful of God and they're listening and when these warnings are given they are making the proper actions to protect themselves. We go to the eighth plague, locusts come upon the land. The ninth plague, darkness comes upon the land. The tenth plague is the death of the firstborn. Then we go to chapter 13 verse 17 (coughs) and we read this, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go. So Pharaoh did eventually let the people go. It took ten plagues. The last seven plagues or the seven last plagues were against Pharaoh and his people alone. So let's go to the book of Revelation and look at the seven last plagues that will come upon the earth. We'll find them in Revelation chapter 16, and Revelation, for those of you who are not familiar with the Bible, is the very last book of the Bible. And what we're going to read is something that will take place in the future. It has not happened yet. Revelation chapter 16, verses one and two. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. Well, we note a couple of things here. In verse 1, look what it says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. This is something that originates in heaven. It is supernatural. It is not man-made. It is generated from God himself. In verse 2 it says, So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. The recipients of these plagues were those who had the mark of the beast and or those who worshiped the beast. Now that's not happening yet. It has never happened. It will be in the future. From time to time, people think that outbreaks of disease like AIDS or Ebola, things like that, are plagues from God. They are not the seven last plagues from God. That is still yet future. Until there is the mark of the beast, there is not going to be the seven last plagues. But let's look at what is going on here. What is the characteristic of the beast? Let's go to Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation chapter 13, there are four verses we're going to look at immediately, and uh, we'll read those, and then we're going to go back through them. Verse 1 says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? who is able to make war with him. Well the first characteristic that we note is found in verse 1. I saw, or then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns and on his horns ten crowns and on his heads a blasphemous name. Blasphemy is associated with this beast. Now blasphemy, I'm going to give you a Greek word and you can remember this one. Blasphemia. Go ahead and look at somebody next to you and say that. Blasphemia. Okay, now you have a Greek word. Do any of you you have any idea what that word means in English? Blaspheme. Good guess. Good. Now it is a word that is made up of two Greek words and the scholars say it either comes from blacks b-l-a-x which means sluggish or stupid or probably from blapto which means to injure Feme means speech so blasphemia in the Greek means speech that is to injure and uh, in its context, that's what it means here. It is speech defamatory of God. It is speaking contemptuously of God or of sacred things. So whatever this beast is, whatever, whatever it will be, one thing is clear, its speech is defamatory of God. And it is speaking contemptuously of God or of sacred things. We look in verse three. It says, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed after the beast. This will be something that is worldwide. It is not isolated. It will not be in one country and not in another. This is something that is worldwide. There will be a spirit of blasphemy. There will be actions of blasphemy. There will be speech that is defamatory of God. And there will be contempt for God and sacred things of the Lord and it will be international. Verse four, so they worshiped the dragon and gave authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him? There is worship involved and worship of this beast and worship of the dragon that gives authority to the beast. Now some of you have been around the block a few times in your studies of Revelation so you understand who the dragon is. But those who haven't been will appreciate us going to Revelation 12 verse 9. Revelation 12 verse 9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So we note that this beast thing is blasphemous. It is worldwide. Worship is involved. Worshiping the dragon and worshiping the beast. In the word worship in the Greek is proskuneo. It's a words put together. Pros means toward and cuneo means kiss. So pros cuneo means to kiss. It's an act of homage or reverence. And basically you'll find in the book of Revelation there are two groups. One group that is kissing the Lord and one group that is kissing the devil. And uh, that's how it breaks down ultimately in the end of the world. Now there's another thing that is stated. Look at verses 6 and 7. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. This power will war against God's people. So we discover that the elements or the characteristics of the beast are blasphemy, to speak defamatory words and ideas against God, to speak contemptuously of God or of sacred things. It will be worldwide, it will be worshipping the devil and it will be worshipping the beast and it, they will have a war against God's people. Now, for some good news, let's go to Revelation 18 Revelation 18 verse 1 it says after these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was illuminated with his glory this angel has great authority and this angel has great light and the whole earth is illuminated by the light. It is assumed by scholars that this angel has a message and that message is empowered by God and that that message is what the light is. It is a light shining in a dark world. It is Jesus who is the light and the question will arise in each of our souls. The question that comes to us from the Gospel of John when, it, when John says light, has come into the world, but men preferred darkness rather than light. What will we prefer? Will we prefer the light? Will we, would we rather kiss God or would we rather kiss the devil and the beast? These decisions will be ours to make. Verse 2, And this angel cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen, and has become a habitation of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Well, suddenly we've gone from the devil, the beast, and now we have Babylon. Babylon is the same thing. Babylon is a composite of those who are against God. And Babylon was a real place at one time. But in the scriptures it's used symbolically of the enemies of God. So here you have an angel that comes from heaven with great authority, illuminates the world, and says, Babylon, where the devil and the beast are, is fallen. We know who they are, we know what they're about. They've become a habitation of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. This is something that has economic ramifications as well. In fact, you have read probably that the people of God will have difficulty buying and selling as we move down through history or move into the future. But those who are involved with demons, foul spirits, unclean and hated birds, blasphemy, Worshipping the dragon worshiping the beast and warring against God's people they'll be able to buy and sell they'll be able to enrich themselves But here's a message and I heard another voice from heaven saying come out of her my people Lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues The plagues come upon those who refuse to come out God has offered salvation to the entire world. And apparently we're going to reach a point in Earth's history where you're only going to have two groups of people. One group that is serving God and one group that is serving the devil. Each of us will have an opportunity to make a decision. Now let's go back to Revelation 16 because it's interesting Thing that happens during the outpouring of these plagues in the last days. Verses 5 through 7, there are two angels that are going to speak. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is, and who was, and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is For it is their just due. Now, why would an angel say that to the Lord? The Lord is righteous. The Lord is just. The Lord is fair. And he's God. Why would an angel say that? And so I wondered, well, does God need encouragement to do what is right? No. No. Do the angels that are in heaven need to hear this? I doubt it. They're on board, so what is going on here? And it seems to me that this was placed here in the Word of God for us so that we would understand that whatever happens, we can trust God that it is done because God is right, God is just, God is fair. And then another angel speaks in verse seven, and I heard another from the altar saying, "'Even so, Lord God Almighty, "'true and righteous are your judgments.'" So these judgments will come from God. They will be metered out according to what is just and what is fair. They will only fall upon those who have the mark of the beast, those who are worshiping the devil, and those who are worshiping the beast. It will only fall on those who are blaspheming God and those who are warring against God's people. Now, what's the net result of it? Revelation 16 verse 11 says, And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. During the plagues of Egypt, people repented. They believed and they followed what what the proper course was. These folks have reached a point, they do not repent, they do not change, they are what they are. Now this is mentioned again in Revelation chapter 14. And I'd like for you to turn there because there are some things here that I hope will be helpful and that uh, it will give us better understanding. Revelation 14 verse 9. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here, very clearly, an angel is speaking, a movement, a powerful message, and it is saying, do not worship the beast, do not worship his image, do not get the mark of the beast in the forehead or in the hand, or there will be great consequences. In contrast to the people that have it wrong, we have a beautiful oasis in the desert. We have a beautiful island in a stormy sea, and that is found in verse 12. It says, here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now this is a very familiar passage to those of us who've been in this denomination for a while. In fact, we find great comfort in that verse. But I don't think many people really understand that verse. Notice what it says. Here's the patience of the saints, here are those, and there's two things. They keep the commandments of God and to the faith of Jesus. Now, our beginnings in this denomination were with the King James Version, and so we had a tendency to kind of lock in to the phraseology that was used there. The modern translations translate this a little differently than what many have memorized it and consequently have caused people to open their eyes a little bit and to study it some more. And when you actually look at this in the Greek language that is translated into English, you discover that there is a couple key phrases that help unlock this and make it very meaningful. Uh, Take, for instance, keep the commandments. Now, most people think when you mention commandments, what are you talking about? The Ten Commandments. And so they believe that it's kind of isolated, the whole issue is isolated down to the Ten Commandments. And then they also say, well, you know, most Christians are involved in nine out of ten, so really the issue must be the one that not everybody's on board with and that is very logical if your premise is correct but commandments here is not talking about ten commandments in the Greek the word is entoli e-n-t-o-l-i entoli now turn to the person next to you and say entoli see you have two Greek words now entoli. It sounds like a a wonderful pasta dish, doesn't it? I'd like to get some entoli with your mariano sauce on it. Uh, Entoli means teachings. It's not referring to commandments in the sense that, oh, it's the Ten Commandments. Literally, this verse says, they keep the entoli of God, the teachings of God. You have one group that is following the teachings of God. You have one group that has rejected the teachings of God. Now what's interesting if you take your concordance and you understand how to use it, you can discover that nearly every single time that the word commandments Is written in the New Testament, it is entoli. It's not referring to the Ten Commandments. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my entoli. You'll keep my teachings. A new entoli I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So God's people follow God, all his teachings. In fact, Jesus said, really, if you want a nice, neat little package to carry, he said the whole thing is summed up in this. You love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. It's all about love. So we find a group of people who keep the end of God, and then the next phrase, and the faith of Jesus. Some modern translations have looked at this, and they've discovered that the way that it is written in the Greek yeah you could say the faith of Jesus and you know what if we had the faith of Jesus it would be wonderful we would have faith in God our father as he had faith in his father and we would be faithful as he was faithful and we would be able to pray the prayer that some scholars say is the most beautiful prayer in the Bible the most beautiful prayer to the ears of God is your will be done. However, most modern translations and most scholars recognize that this phrase is keep the end of God and keep their faith in Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is Our righteousness. Jesus is our hope of eternal life. Our faith is not a struggle to have His faith, our faith is in Him. And that gives us the hope. So we think about it. God is offering us a wonderful opportunity. We can be saved in Christ. We can hold on to that salvation in Christ. And there will be all kinds of temptations, doubts, concerns, fears to try to detract us from that. But the people who make it are those who have faith in Jesus. They hold on. They keep looking to Him. And a natural byproduct of that will be a desire to follow God and to keep His teachings. Now I'd like for you to turn to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. We live in wicked times and it's not my desire to rehearse before you the news of this past week. Why come to church and hear what you'd like to have a few moments of escape from? But we live in a world where there's a lot of bad that is happening and it's happening to fellow believers in Christ. So we look to God and here is a message I believe he has for us out of Psalm 121 question is asked well it's a first a statement then a question i will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help the basic answer is not from the hills my help comes from the lord who made heaven and earth he will not allow your foot to be moved He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. Now, in the plagues at the end, those plagues do not come upon God's people. They're not on us. But think about some people that have given their lives recently for the Lord. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. Did God preserve them? Has God preserved them? Well, in the context of eternity, absolutely He has. He shall preserve your soul. That's what it says. He shall preserve your soul. We may stop breathing but that doesn't stop us. There is an eternity out there. And you've heard it said, if you take your life and divide it into infinity, really, you weren't even here. It's so small in comparison. The Lord shall, shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth even forevermore." Plagues. Not a joyful topic. Plagues. It's gonna happen. Plagues generated from God Himself. Plagues that will fall upon people who are blaspheming God. Plagues that will be worldwide Plagues upon those worshiping the devil. Plagues on those worshiping the beast. Plagues on those who are seeking to destroy God's people. But those plagues will not fall on God's people. I'm reminded of the beautiful song, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. It may be that the Lord is passing by your heart right now. It may be that as you reflect upon who you are and how you manifest yourself, that you recognize your need for the forgiveness of sin. It may be that the Savior is passing through your mind and heart and he's seeking, seeking to save you. And I'm wondering if there's anyone here who would like to say, Lord, please do not pass me by. I want you in my heart. And if you would like to say that to the Lord, I invite you to stand. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus our Savior. We do have faith in Him. Now by your grace, help us to keep your teachings. We pray.